Well, Redeemer, so good to see you again if you uh, stepped in a little late. We're going to be in Psalm 55 this morning, Psalm 55. And uh, you'll notice in your bulletin, if you paid attention to our reflection quote, there's something different about, different about Psalm 55. There's a theme, Psalm 53, I mean, Psalm 52, Psalm 54, David is experiencing affliction and betrayal. Uh, the first betrayal comes from a stranger. Uh, the second uh, betrayal comes from uh, his own countrymen. And in Psalm 55, this betrayal is from a close friend. And I want us to think about that this morning. What do you do when you're bruised by a believer? When you're wounded by a fellow worshiper of the Lord? I think this psalm helps us understand that. It, it digs into some of our feelings, and I think it offers us a, a beautiful path forward. This is God's word, Psalm 55. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and the horrors overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who was enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were withdrawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Let's pray together. Father, we turn our hearts to your word and we thank you for the reading of it. And we also ask Holy Spirit for power and unction and faith to rightly divide, and to uh, be good hearers of your word. 
Father, I pray that after we hear what's rightly divided uh, by your blessing, I pray that you will make us doers of your word. If there are any brothers or sisters that, that, that have grievance against us that we are aware of, help us, Lord, to be quick to be reconciled. This is the way of the cross. Be with me, your, your teacher. Forgive me my sins, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So George Barna does research around uh, churches, and, and, um, and he, he has this, he did research around spiritual injury, and here's what he writes. He says, spiritual injury occurs in churches more often than we would like to admit. In my research, four out of every 10 unchurched people in the United States claim to avoid church because of bad past experiences in a church or in relation to churched people. Hypocrisy, meanness, incivility, uncharitableness has led to some 25 to 30 million adults to stay away from Christian churches. Think about that. That if you were to canvas people who will no longer hearken a door of a church, that a great majority of them would say that Christians were mean. Christians were hypocritical. Christians were uncivil. But I want to push that a step further. If we were to canvas the room, and I don't want you to do it, I don't want you to raise your hand. If I were to ask you this question, how many of you have been wounded by a fellow worshiper? Or how many of you have been bruised by a believer? And I will caveat it this way, not in your home, because I, I have a theory that the more we live with people, the more we sin against people, right? Uh, proximity, most of our sin comes out, but, but I wanna, let's remove your family of origin, let's remove your husband, your wife, your kids, your children, all of them. We're, I'm assuming they're gonna hurt you, right? But how many of you have been hurt by Christians? Maybe even in this church. You see, I think C.S. Lewis is on to something. Like, we can try not to avoid being hurt, and we can guard our hearts and, and, and play at church. And what I mean by play at church, I don't mean get on the video game. I mean, we're, we're pew sitters. We come and sit. We are nice on Sunday, and then we leave, and we see the same people again the next week. You'll never be hurt unless I say something offensive or some big decisions we make. But if you really take the Christian life seriously, and we do community with each other and live life together with each other and catch each other on our good days and our bad days, when we're tempted, when we lose it, when we blow it, you have a 100% chance of being hurt by believers. That's why in the black church, they will say, you are either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're about to go into one. You can say the same thing about church hurt. Some of you have been hurt. You've been wounded by a fellow worshiper. And some of you are processing some of that right now. And some of you may in the future. And what this psalm does is it gives us language. It takes us into the encounter. And when you look at it in concert with the other psalms, I think it lays out a beautiful way forward when you're hurt. 
So the first thing I want us to consider is the hurt that David experiences. That this psalm finds David in a hard place. That if you were to read it, you'll notice him speaking of this anguish that is within him. The terrors of death have fallen upon him. Fear and trembling come upon him. The horrors overwhelm him. He speaks of being restless. As a matter of fact, in two different occasions, in verse 2 and verse 17, he says that I cannot not stop thinking about this affliction. That if there's a song by Babyface and The Deal, and some of you will know it, and it's called Two Occasions. And it goes like this. I only think of you on two occasions. What's that? What, what's that? Some of y'all know the song. It's day and night. I go for broke if I could be with you. Only you can make it right. So there's, it's a love song, and they're singing about the way that they're so in love with this woman that they can't stop thinking about her. And he uses Hebrew mirrorism, right? day and night, and all in between. Well, David has written a psalm, and what he tells you is, I cannot stop thinking about the affliction. Morning, noon, and night, it's there, like a thorn in my foot, and it will not go away. Now, why? Like, why is this so hard for David to get over? Because on the surface, it looks like it's one enemy. But then David switches it and he says, but they drop trouble on me. So what, what, wait, wait a minute. Which one is it, David? Is it an enemy or is it them? Is it an enemy? Or David uses the language. He says that in verse 9, I see the violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its wall. Look at verse 11. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. This is David looking at the city of God and the people of God and something has happened where the whole city has turned against him. He says, Lord, they're hurting me with their words. Verse 3, in, in anger they bear a grudge against me. He says they're oppressing me right there in verse 3. That, that language there goes back to Exodus. It's the language of Pharaoh. When Pharaoh is oppressing Israel and treating Israel unfairly, and that's what David says is happening in the city of God. And then he tells us why it hurts so bad. Because the ringleader in verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 21, it's not an adversary. It's not an outsider. It's not an enemy. It's not a Gentile. It's not a non-worshipper of God. It's my friend. He said, if it were an enemy, I could handle that. I expect that from them. If it were an adversary, I could run and hide. He says, no, it is my companion, my familiar friend. Look at verse 14. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in together with the throng of God's people. You turn over and he says in verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter. His war, war was in his heart. Words were softer than oil. They were drawn swords and other words. David has been wounded not by a pagan. 
He's been hurt by a believer. Someone he studied with and prayed with and worshiped with and walked to church with. He says, our family spent time together. We discussed God's word together. This is why it hurts him so bad. This is why he can't stop thinking about it morning, noon, and night. It's because he let someone in. Someone made vows to love him and befriend him and to be there, and they have broken that vow. Look around the room. What you're looking at is paradox. Every one of us has the capacity to help people towards holiness and godliness. And we all have the capacity to hurt and to harm. From the man that's standing in this pulpit to the person sitting on the farthest pew in the back, we are in process. We have not made it home. And therefore, we can and often will hurt one another. We stand before one another and we take vows for the peace and the purity of the church. And it is so easy to jettison those vows. And the way that we can hurt each other, beloved, it is legion. Legion. Manifold. We can hurt with our words, with our hearts, with our speech, with our looks, with our motives. We can hurt with false advertising. If you're here and you're single and you think this is community and family and you see everybody leave and we jet out and no one acknowledges you, you can feel like we're false advertising. That when you go through hard times in life and you reach out for help and maybe someone lets you down, Maybe you're surprised when someone lashes out on social media and they show their political leanings. And it can hurt you when you see it. Or maybe you were in a small group and someone made a dismissive and hurtful comment and they did it with no remorse. Or maybe you're like St. Patrick. As I was reading, I came across St. Patrick, and St. Patrick talked about confessing a sin to a friend when he was a non-believer when he was 15 years old. And here's what he writes. 30 years later, this same friend publicized that sin I committed when I was not a believer. They brought it up against me 30 years after the occurrence. I was not a deacon then, and on the account of the anxiety in my soul, I bore my soul to my friend, and my conscience is now clear. God is my witness that I have not lied in these words, but rather I am grieved that my very close friend, the one whom I entrusted my soul, brought this up again to shame me. 
We serve a God who says, I will remember your sins no more. I will separate you from them as far as the east is from the west. And here is what St. Patrick is saying. A friend went back and dug this up and, and tried to judge him based on that right here and now. He says, it wounded me. If you can relate to any of this, you are not in uncharted territory. Paul was left alone in prison, no one to visit. The Corinthians sued each other and committed sexual sin that makes Las Vegas blush. The poor in the book of James have been second-class citizens and people have showed favoritism to the wealthy and he calls them brothers? This is happening in the church. Jacob was conniving and with the help of his own mother stole his brother's birthright and blessing. Joseph was sold into slavery by the brothers that the tribes of Israel are named after. You've been hurt by believers. Welcome to the club. We all have. And maybe you're recalling a person or a conversation or an episode, and I want to honor that. Listen to it. What is it saying? Second thing, what's the toll on David's soul? The toll on David's soul. David is wounded on the soul level. Wounds on the body can be seen and attended to. What does a wounded soul look like? When we're wounded and sold by trusted ones, there's anger, there's emptiness, there's the fear of letting others near us again. There are questions on why didn't I see it coming. These are all natural responses. But this psalm dives into two that I want to focus on this morning. One is distance and one is destruction. David's pain makes him want to distance himself from the people of God. Now he uses this language of the city, of the city being corrupt. And Jesus picks up on this language and looks at believers and says, you are the city. You are a city on a hill. And so we can infer that when David sees this in the city, that he's talking about the people of God. Now notice what David wants after he's been hurt by a friend and all of those following this friend. Look at what he says in verses six through eight. He says, oh, that I had wings like a dove and I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry and find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Psalm 139, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly to the uttermost parts of the sea and behold you're there. Right. So they're talking about the smothering presence of God. But here in Psalm 55, David says, Lord, give me some wings. And if you give me some wings, I'm flying away from him and them folk. As a matter of fact, what does David say he wants to fly to? He says, I will lodge in the wilderness. Now, on a practical level, life is not meant for humans to live in the wilderness in the desert. But on a theological level, what is David communicating? Theologically, the wilderness for Jews had a special meaning, didn't it? 
it was a place that they were not to be long-term. God's plan for getting them out of Egypt was not, I am the Lord, let me deliver you so that you can live perpetually in the wilderness. No, that's not what your Bible say. God's plan was to deliver them from bondage in Egypt and to move them into a land, their own land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with vineyards that they did not plant, a land that would be a fortified city where God would dwell in their midst and the people of God would dwell safely and securely and they would be connected to one another in him, a land where the Torah would be taught and lived. God's plan was not for them to camp out in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, when you look at the wilderness through the lens of why they stayed there for 40 years, it's never good. It's always frowned upon. Why? That wasn't God's plan. His plan was to give them a home, a city. And what David is saying is, I don't want to be in that city with them. I don't want to be around them. I want to go out there. So when I was a kid, me and three of my friends, we were mischievous. Let's use that word. And we discovered the beauty of a thumbtack in a little girl's chair, right? Or a little boy's chair. We were indiscriminate. And so we were at Davis Elementary where Miss Turner taught, and me and three of my friends, we would, hey, mom and daddy, can you take us to Eckert's? We want to get some thumbtacks. And what we would do is we would slide them in our book bag, and right before somebody sat down, throw a thumbtack right in their seat. And, and you could just wait for it to happen. They sit and then they just jump up, right? We got so good at it, we did ourselves just so that the teacher would not know that it was us doing it. <laughs> My wife has planted a garden and she has watermelon and cucumbers and squash and tomatoes and basil and mint. And we got something that's getting in there, eating it up. And I put a trap out there last night because I'm hoping to trap whatever it is that's getting our cucumbers, right? But I put a net up, a little black net, because I'm trying to keep whatever it is out of there. I done got a, a BB gun to try to shoot any squirrel I see going in there. I got a fake owl whose his head bobbles and turns around because I'm thinking, man, if they see a fake owl. And so finally we put up, I put up an electric fence. I got a little electric wire that runs all the way around the garden. And so I'll sit and post up in my chair and I'll just look. I just look out the window to see if, if that net moves, then I'm going to get up and go see what it is. And so it rained a few weeks ago and there was a dragonfly who had gotten stuck in the net. I saw the net moving and I got, the little, I got my little BB gun and I'm like, it's a dragonfly. So I walk over and I open the net to let the dragonfly out and it, it has been raining. And I forget that I have an electric fence there. And I electrocute myself, right? And I did not have to stop and say, wait a minute, this is electricity going through my body, right? That when you sit on a thumbtack, you, you don't have to stop and say, I think this is that much metal piercing my backside, right? You don't do that. Why? There are impulses in you that hates pain. And it makes you not want it. Before you can think about moving, you are already putting distance between you and the source of the pain. 
When David says, if you will give me wings, that I will fly to the wilderness. You know what he's saying? I'm getting hurt in here. And it's painful to be here. And I would rather take my chances out there than to keep letting injury happen in here. And that's what we do when we're hurt by the body. We will pull away from the body. We will avoid people. We will attend different services. We will not serve in ministries that they're serving in. We might consider leaving the church or finding a new call. If we're not careful, we will try to, like David does in this moment, throw a towel in on the covenant community and think it's better to do life in the wilderness. And we say, it's dry out here, I'm alone, but at least they can't hurt me out here. And it gets worse. David wants their destruction. There's a shift, right? In verse 9, he says, destroy, O Lord, they're divided. He says, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. That, that's the language. That language is it, it, from Babel, right? Where, where the Lord comes down and he confuses their tongues so that they cannot do the evil that they want to do. So David is praying right there in verse 9, great, Lord, don't let what they're plotting happen and get in there and confuse their speech. But there's a progression and the progression goes down to 15. He says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive for evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. That language, it comes from number 16. Y'all know what happened in number 16? That's when Moses' leadership was being challenged by the sons of Korah. And Moses says, okay, God, you got to work. And he told them, if God does not do something different that he's never done before, then I'm a liar. But if God does something different that he's never done before, you're in sin. You know what God did? The earth opened up and swallowed them alive. And the earth covered them up and they went to Sheol alive. That is what David is praying against people that he's worshiped with. And God didn't answer that prayer. We have no record that the ground opened up, right? But I think we're getting a window into the pain. It makes us want others who hurt us to hurt. Stephen Mansfield was a pastor. He's now a New York Times bestselling author. He's written about the faith of presidents. So he studies presidents and tries to figure out what they believe. And he studied the faith of President Bush and President Barack Obama. But before all of that, he was a pastor. And he's written a book on healing church hurt. And here's what he writes. There's a pattern that we need to be aware of. When a person is wounded by the actions of another in the church, that wound is nasty and deep. 
And rather than respond with forgiveness and peace, the offended person nurses the wound and makes it worse by replaying it in his mind. He has taken the bait and, and is in the trap of offense. Now syringes of bitter liquid are being emptied into the already wounded soul. That rage and pain keeps you warm. That bitterness makes all things possible. There are no restrictions on your actions or your words in that place. It's the pain talking. You know, right read from Matthew, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right, pray for those who persecute you. But I don't think the Lord would have us to pray, Lord, will you open the ground up and swallow Sister McGee alive? Right. Who's prayed that prayer? No, Jesus taught us another way. He says, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who sin against me. Lead me not into temptation. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said this, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I, the one greater than David, I say to you, love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you. And don't pray that hell would rain down. He says, the Father makes it rain on the just and the unjust alike. So it could be behind your hurt, God is being sovereign. And he's doing something. He's trying to make you more like him who is perfect. He's trying to make you understand more of him who knows what it's like to be betrayed by humanity. He's making you more like him and he is at work. And so here's the question. Have you longed for distance from the body? In the quiet recesses of your soul, have you wanted revenge? If you felt these things, you've been wounded. And it's real. And there's a way forward, which is our final point. There's a way forward from the hurt. The first thing I want to acknowledge, Redeemer, is that it's hard. That if you read this psalm, you'll notice that it, it so, so look at verses 12 through 15. David is like, it's not an enemy, I could bear it, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Let death steal over him. Look at verse 16. But I call to God and the Lord will save me, evening and morning, right? So it looks like David has given this over to the Lord. It looks like he redeems my soul in safety from the battle I wage. God will give ear and humble them. He was enthroned from old. And then at verse 20, he's back at it again. It comes back up. And so that's him wrestling with this, right? On the one hand, he knows that God is safety. He knows that God as a refuge, but the betrayal still hurts. And then he tries, Lord, I got it, I give it to you. But, but they did that. Isn't that like the struggle? It's not a linear path towards forgiveness and reconciliation. What the psalm is giving window to is that, man, this is hard. And it's only possible in Jesus. What does David really want? He wants rest. He wants to stop running. 
He doesn't want wings to fly away. He wants someone who will receive him and empathize with him. They are arrayed against him and he is alone. He wants someone who will listen to his side of the story. He wants recompense. That's a fancy word for justice. He wants justice to be served. And he wants restoration. Verses 16 and 18, he talks about being saved. And being saved is not small in the sense of rescue me from this catastrophe. It is a a, a big saving. Lord, make this all go away. Now, how do I know that David doesn't want the distance? He doesn't want to be out of fellowship with the body. How do I know that? Because you have to interpret Psalm 55 in light of the rest of the Psalter. And here's what I mean. In this Psalm, he says, Lord, may Sheol swallow them alive. And he's talking about the saints. But did y'all catch what Wright read in Psalm 16, 3? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Y'all know who wrote that? David. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Y'all know who wrote that? David. So which one is it, David? You want them dead and swallowed up? Or is all of your delight in them? Which one is it? You know who wrote Psalm 51? When David broke covenant with Uriah and broke covenant with Bathsheba? Did David pray, Lord, swallow me to Sheol? No, he did not pray that for himself. He says, cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Purge me and wash me and I'll be clean. Blot out all my iniquities. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I will go back into the company of the saints and teach them. Which one is it, David? Do you love them or do you hate them? Do you want to be around them or do you not want to be around them? Here's what you see when you look at the ark of the Bible. And here's the ark. The scriptures will acknowledge that if you take seriously the call to live in community as God's covenant people, it will be glorious and beautiful. And it will also be hard. And you will sin against each other. But that ark in the Bible moves towards reconciliation and forgiveness, and repentance, and restoration. You have to see the ark. And here's what I mean. Did Adam and Eve, when they sinned, divorce? My Bible says that they stayed married, they let God clothe them, they had kids, and they called on the name of the Lord together. I would have loved to walk around them for 700, 800 years just to see how they handled the way that they sinned and transgressed and hurt one another. What about Jacob and Esau? Y'all know Jacob and Esau? That Jacob's mother had to send him away because Esau, your brother, because we are conniving and you have stole his blessing and his birthright. He is going to kill you, boy. 
and you better go far away to Laban's land. And Jacob goes to stay with Laban at least 14 years. We think it's 20 years probably. And there's a 20 year reunion when Jacob leaves Laban and guess who he has to meet again? Esau, his brother, whose last words, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob, man, he is sneaky. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send some of y'all in the front and some of y'all go to the back. And when I get to him, I'm going to prostrate myself before him seven times. And if he kills me, then y'all in the back, y'all run. Jacob was doing all of this. And Esau said, boy, get up. Come give me a hug. And they wept. And a few chapters later, guess what Isaac got to see? He got to see his sons reconciled who buried him. What about Joseph? Sold into slavery by his brothers. You think the end of the story is when they think he's dead and he's not. He sees them in Egypt and they weep and they repent. And they are restored. What about Jesus when he's betrayed by his disciples? He meets them on the other side of the cross. Does he rain down fire? He cooks breakfast for his betrayers, y'all. There's an arc in scripture. When the covenant community hurts each other. There is redemption and reconciliation. How do you get it? You only get it in Jesus. The rest that David wants is not found in a cave. It's not found in the wilderness. It's found in the one who is greater than David. Who says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. David talks about this burden and casting that burden on the Lord. And Jesus says, cast it upon me. Do you know what it's like to flee to Christ when you've been hurt? Where he holds you and he comforts your soul and he sits with you in the grief and the pain and the agony. And you discover that as much as the body is to be like Christ, the body is not Christ. He is a faithful friend who will never wound you. He will never leave you. He will never harm you. He will never shame you. He is a good and beautiful savior. And in Jesus, you find one who empathizes with your pain. Jesus says, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I had 12 friends and I chose them. And I spent every day of my life in ministry with them. And I taught them, I loved them, I instructed them, I fed them. And I, I stopped calling them my servants, I called them my friends. And do you know what they did to me? Judas kissed me and sold me out. Peter, my leader, my rock, he denied me three times. Do you know not one of them came and got my body off of the tree? They left me there. That Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to come and get my body off of a cross after I had spilled my blood for their sins. That's how my friends treated me. Do you think I don't know what it feels like? He says, but I do. 
And I know you want justice, and that's a righteous thing because sin cannot go unpunished, but I want you to stay with me. Do you believe that vengeance is mine? Because I will settle this. Either their sins have been atoned for on the cross and I have carried them away, or they will bear their sins forever apart from me. But what I need you to know is that I'm your refuge, I'm your shelter, I empathize with you, and I'm the one who is just and will righteously deal with this. You cannot exact enough justice on your own. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to live like all of this is true. You see, my delight, says Jesus, is in the church. And I laid down my life to reconcile enemies. That if I have laid down my life to do a cosmic reconciliation between humans and God, Cannot humans who benefit from my reconciliation, can you not be empowered by my spirit, my heart, my love, my word to pursue shalom and peace and repentance and forgiveness? That's what Jesus would say. That's why he says, if you are at the altar and you realize your brother has something against you, what Jesus says is stop, stop playing church. Stop doing this. Stop going through the motions. I care so deeply about your reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance that I want you to stop doing this and go get right with that person because the world sees me at work when Christians can handle offenses in a way that's different than the the world does. In Jesus, he empowers us to cast these things on him, to trust him, to leave him, to sort it all out. And in a way that God holds out an olive branch, which is Calvary for you and me, he calls us to do the same. What would it look like for us to be a church that gives grace in small things? Proverbs 19:11 says, "Good sense makes us slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense." I take that to mean some offenses are small. And we just got to give grace and give room for the spirit to work and people to grow. And when offenses become big, where we want to distance ourselves from and we want destruction and a host of other things, I think there it's time to do what David is talking about in this passage. Let us come to Jesus and find rest in him. Let us see him who empathizes with us. Let us trust him who will judge justly and let us experience his forgiveness and tenderness and be empowered by the spirit to go out to forgive and to pursue reconciliation. That's the path forward when we're hurt, Redeemer. And I pray that if you are on that path, that Jesus calls you off of the path of destruction and distance, that he floods your heart with his grace and goodness, and that he moves you as he leads to be reconciled to your brothers and sisters. Let's pray together.
Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word and we thank you, Jesus, for being a great and faithful friend. Father, if there is hurt in the body, I pray for courage and wisdom to navigate these things. Father, I pray that you will make us a people that can overlook small offenses, but make us a people, O Lord, that will trust you to do the work of repair and repenting and forgiveness. Father, I pray that you will um, allow us to experience this mysterious and beautiful joy of being reconciled when we have wandered or when we have strayed or when we have wounded other believers. Holy Spirit, only you can sort through this and do this aright. And so I pray that if uh, there are those who need to be reconciled, that you would set these things in action. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.